Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Today, the province is planning on merging Hamilton Public Health with Niagara, Brant, and Haldeman Norfolk. The government also continues to cut services, including the OPP. And Global News has issued a series on the Canadian health care system. Today's edition looks at dental care. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. More close to home here. Uh, the province also uh, mentioned this in their budget, and we're starting to get some of the details about it right now, about merging public health uh, offices and departments. Uh, they want to just have fewer of them. And uh, Hamilton got word yesterday that they're going to be included in this, I hate to use the word again, amalgamation of uh, health units. Chad Collins is uh, the counselor for Ward 5 in the east end of the city, joining us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Morning, Chad. How are you today? I'm doing well, Bill. Thanks good. for having me on. Good. Well, thank. I'm glad you could come in and explain this to us. Uh, we should mention, by the way, just to lay the groundwork for this, that uh, City Council is, in fact, the Board of Health here in Hamilton. That's the political arm of things, but there is a public health department here. Uh, right. We knew uh, when the budget was delivered a couple of weeks ago that this was going to happen. We didn't know if Hamilton was going to be impacted. Uh, and yesterday, the hammer came down. Uh, what's your reaction to this? Well, I mean, I think it's a common theme, and you and I were on, uh, you know, talking about this a couple of weeks ago, uh, and there's really two words to describe it. It's uh, downloading and it's amalgamation, and this is really cut and paste uh, from the 90s plague book that this, this same government used uh, with municipalities and with other public entities. And so whether, you know, back then we, we went through our own amalgamation process, um, you recall, and, and your ward was uh, affected by this, uh, you know, more than many others when they went through the hospital restructuring mm-hmm. and all the rallies there in terms of health care cuts. And again, it was all around this amalgamation of services and streamlining services. And, um, and of course, the school boards, and, and now we're seeing public health. And so it's, uh, it just looks like almost every single area uh, under... Under our, our purview and, and our governance structure, and ter- from a municipal standpoint, is under attack. And you just mentioned the OPP. Of course, you had the teachers on uh, recently, and, and the impacts there to education. And so, it, it just looks like this is, uh, you know, a sign of things to come. This is the first year of their mandate, and I think we're in store for a lot more of this. And, and yesterday's announcement, Bill, to, to be specific, was uh, our medical officer of health, Dr. Richardson, sharing with us that uh, they're going through a restructuring of uh, regional health units across the province and uh, reducing them from 32 units to 10. And Hamilton would be lumped in with some of our neighboring municipalities of Niagara, Brant, and uh, Haldeman Norfolk, I think, was was on our list. Yeah. And, of, and of course, you know, and you covered this a couple of weeks ago, there's also a 5% increase um, on the cost split between uh, the, the region, sorry, the our, our public health department and the province. And so Hamilton, I think right now, we're looking at a $2 million impact and with some of the other cuts we've already experienced in other areas, we're, we're just over $9 million. And so it's, it's having uh, an impact on services, and it's having an impact on our budget. And, and it's not unique to Hamilton. Uh, you know, I was just reading a story earlier this morning where Toronto is looking at a $178 million impact from these same decisions. And, uh, and they're looking at some tough decisions, as all municipalities are. Here's, I've been doing a lot of reading on this ever since it was announced in the budget, and they, you know, Queen's Park was kind of kicking this around. And, and I'll tell you, Chad, I have yet to find an explanation as to why they're doing mm-hmm. this. In other words, is, is this supposed to create a, a more efficient health care system, a more efficient delivery of health care? Because I don't, I don't see that happening, and I don't see any justification for this. No, and it's right. And I think you know we could all maybe accept some of these decisions if, it talked, if they talked about better services, if they talked about efficiencies, 
Um, but this is really just cost cutting. This is uh, simply, um, well, and in the case of downloading, it's just pushing the cost onto someone else. And so these these costs that are now picked up by the province will be picked up by uh, by homeowners locally and elsewhere. And and they, there's a stipulation in there, Bill, that it, uh, at least for the public health component, where they're saying there is no discretion. You can't cut the programs with public health. You you have to make up for these funds. And so that that in itself then provides municipalities without the option of looking for ways and means in which to find efficiencies to make up for some of the these uh, funding increases. So that makes it even harder to swallow. And um, and I and again, I, I think this is you know we're probably in store for more of this over the next uh, three or four years as they have a majority government. I, I know our own mayor and our, our medical officer of health and and local organizations, uh, AMO, um, the Large Urban Mayors Caucus, I think, have weighed in on this. I mean, there, there's a consistent message back to the province that says this just doesn't make sense. And I'm, I'm not certain that those words are being heard at all at Queen's Park and, and the Premier just seems, uh, you know, hell-bent on moving forward irrespective of the, the comments that he's receiving from the experts. I mean, um, you know, our public health department... Um, has people who've delivered this service for 20 or 30 years in some cases. And uh, many of the programs, and you know this from your time on council, that we see across the province were developed right here in Hamilton, um, whether it's in our social service area or public health. And they have been uh, uh, copied by other and, and implemented by other municipalities. And so, I, you know, a lot to lose here in terms of services and, and a, certainly a lot more to pay for as, as a result of the downloading. Well, that's a, an interesting story. There's a couple of things about this. Uh, and you're absolutely right. When the downloading started in the mid-1990s, and everybody, first of all, there were the social service cuts, and then there were the public health mm-hmm. cuts. And mm-hmm. and you're right. We had uh, two excellent uh, managers then. Mike Schuster was in charge of uh, yep, uh, a great right. deal of that work there, and uh, and Mike did an incredible job, so much so, as you said, that most other communities used what Hamilton did as a template. And Dr. Richardson, to her credit, as, as the public public health, uh, head of public health here, similarly this. There's mm-hmm. another number that I want to get out. If you, I don't know if you've got this off the top of your head, Chad, because I know mm-hmm. you and Council Marula talk about this. The percentage of mandated programs on the municipal tax bill, I think, if I recall, it was something like two-thirds of the, yep. of the tax bill are things that you can't cut. I mean, the province says you must do this, you must pay for this. Yeah, Councillor Marula loves to raise this at almost every meeting where we're dealing with the province, and you're right. It's well, it's because well it's germane at just about every meeting it, now. It really is. It's well over 50%, and, you know, that you know the biggest part would be programs like uh, Ontario Works, where the province makes up the rules, and then, then you know, we're, we're paying for it. And, and recently, we just went through the uploading with Ontario Works, so I have to give the previous government some credit, um, where, they, where the Harris government downloaded Ontario Works to municipalities, Premier Wynne then eventually uploaded those. But I think police would be a good example right now in terms of, you know, it's it's governed by an act that is established by the province. And uh, there really is no discretion in terms of, uh, you know, the city paying or not paying those services, not that we would consider cutting, but uh, there really is uh, little discretion in terms of having an impact in, in many ways on the, on the police budget and the way that those services are offered. So I use that as an example of uh, a large parts of our budgets in many areas, public health, police and elsewhere, uh, are mandated by the pr- province to be delivered locally, and um, and those costs then are paid by, for by local ratepayers. And so there's a, a unique uh, relationship. We are creatures of the province, and so when they change legislation, we are mandated legally to follow it. And in this case, when they pass along costs, there's not much we can do to to avoid them. And, you know, back to public health in particular, it is a very local service. So I know that you know, when, when they're talking in very general ways of merging these services with other health units, um, you know, the needs of, of local Hamiltonians are a lot different than those people who might be living in Haldeman, Norfolk. 
and uh, and as well as those individuals who may be dealing uh, or, or residing, sorry, in Niagara. And so we we have local programs that we've set up based on local needs, and you know everything from our low income dental program that we have to our restaurant inspections. And you know we went through a fairly healthy debate a couple of years ago about the color coding that we have when you walk in. We've got the the green, yellow, and red system, and that's a, a very local Hamilton issue. Our overdose prevention sites are more relevant, I'm certain, here than they would be maybe in some larger urban, uh, commu- uh, rural communities outside of our borders. And so, you know, we've tailored our programs to meet the needs of, of our residents and to then amalgamate with other municipalities who may have more pressing needs and, and to be unsure about what our representation will be. That hasn't been determined yet on these larger regional boards and to be unsure about uh, what we're going to contribute as a percentage of the budgets uh, for these new entities, I think, um, is concerning. Well, and we don't even know the rollout on this. Uh, for instance, I, when I had Dr. Richardson on, this is when the, the idea was being floated about, mm-hmm. I guess, about a month or so ago. Uh, she raised, I thought, some very valid concerns. One of them, first of all, is if you do this, and it looks like this is happening now, uh, mm-hmm. we're talking about what one, two, three different areas. Uh, does that mean two of these medical offices of health are no longer going to be necessary? Is there only going to be one for this whole thing? Uh, what about staffing? I mean, you know, mm-hmm. is, is that a consideration? Are these mandated programs? Then that staff has to stay. Uh, yep. And the delivery is absolutely right. I mean, you just touched on, I think, at least three. There's probably a dozen more that we could talk mm-hmm. about now. Uh, mm-hmm. Programs that are unique to Hamilton, just as Norfolk probably has programs that are unique to them because it's it's a mainly rural area, different Correct. things. And yep. uh, even things like infectious d- disease control, much more concerning problem, of course, in an urban area than they would be in situations like that. I, I, again, I'm going back to my original point. I don't understand why they're doing this. I mean, it's not going to make for a more efficient system. It's probably going to make for a more convoluted system. Absolutely. And and so apart from the budget and governance issues, there's that whole issue of harmonizing services. So if in fact, it means that by developing a regional uh, board of health structure, that we have to now look at all of our services and harmonize them between municipalities, that in itself, just from a from a time perspective, from a cost perspective, takes would take in my estimation, probably a decade to get through that process, because we're still harmonizing uh, bylaws here locally um, after our own amalgamation experience, uh, you know, almost 20 years ago. And so it, it takes a very, very long time to get through some of these I- issues. And, uh, and, it's, and it's a distraction. It's a distraction from your daily business uh, that you're, you want to provide to your, to your residents and to your constituencies. And so when all of these entities come together and merge, and I know that they're, you know, they say they're still going through a public consultation process this summer, it all looks like, uh, though it's uh, it's all but a certainty that this is going to happen. Um, you know, just that harmonization process alone takes you away from your core service delivery, and um, you know, it, it forces you. I, I think, in a good way, in some cases, it forces you to look at the programs you have today. But then, trying to bring all those communities together in terms of what those new programs look like is a huge challenge from a political perspective, and I'm certain from a bureaucratic perspective as well. And here we go again with another rollout by the provincial government here, where they actually announce the policy, then they say we're going to do public consultation. Okay. Uh, I, I don't understand the rationale for this. I mean, why Why you go through the uh, what really is probably just going to be the, the, you know, the beginnings of public consultation after you've already decided what you're going to do as a government? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, and there's so many questions we have asked here. Like we, we mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, everybody on city council is in fact on the board of health here in the city of Hamilton. Uh, is there going to be a super board? Uh, for this this amalgamated uh, public health unit, uh, how many people from Hamilton are going to be on it? How many people from Niagara? We don't know any of this stuff yet. 
no, and it's that those are those are the big questions, and you know, those are the answers we're looking for at this point. And uh, you know, as we heard uh, this year, with the funding changes, we're going to have to draw from reserves. So there's uh, from a financial perspective, we know what's in store for us in two nineteen. Uh, 220, um, I think it's an open question in terms of what kind of financial issues we're looking at. Um, you know, I think all departments that have any kind of a relationship, whether they're in public health or elsewhere, are kind of holding their breath, waiting for, um, you know, the hammer to fall on, on what 2020 budgets look like. But it's a sign of things to come, Bill, in, in terms of, uh, you know, less say about how uh, local services are developed, you know, back to Councillor Marula's theme, less say about how local programs and services are delivered less say about, um, you know, our, our ability to pay uh, or what kind of services or service levels we want to, um, to provide. And, um, and I think it looks like, as, you know, Mayor Tory and, and others have said, it's almost like, uh, you know, the, pro- the, the Premier and the province are trying to, trying to um, you know, dismantle the, the, their relationship with municipalities. I think we've had a good working relationship with the province for almost 20 years now um, and with good lines of communication, and it seems like this Premier is, is just um, you know making decisions on the fly without consultation either with municipalities or their constituencies, and um, it just looks like it's a sign of thing to come for the the next three or four years. One of the things I found most troubling was when uh, somebody asked the premier about this the other day, and he he, he mused about uh, public health departments and said, "Well, yeah, those are the guys that put the stickers on the restaurant front windows." Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I mean, if he if that's what he considers public health and 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 the duties of public health, it just shows that this guy has absolutely no idea about the responsibilities and the programs that are in place in Toronto, Hamilton. I mean, you go from community to community. Uh, this is a very important entity, yet he just is so dismissive of it and just looks at it as it's no big deal. Yeah, and I think it's a, you know, just looking at it from a from a macro sense, Bill, it's a very lazy way to govern. Um, you know, just to, we all know we're always looking for efficiencies. We know that there are affordability issues, whether it's here in Hamilton or across the province. And I think the you know the lazy way to go through all of this is just to slash and burn without having any regard for what kind of services are being delivered or what kind of impact that will have on whether it's here in Hamilton or across the province. And I, I think you know the the more creative way to go about this would be to to consult, uh, would be to bring people together, look for efficiencies, look for savings, as we do almost every budget year, and we find them. We find them when you start to have those conversations. And at a provincial level, it's so important because of their um, you know their connection to the to the economy across the across the the province and across the country and and really with the global econ- economy across the world. It's so important for them to look for creative ways and means in which to grow our economy. And those new revenues then help pay for services. And so, you know, I know that's a difficult task, and it's not an easy process to go through. It's not one that I've been a part of, uh, but uh, you know that really is where the province should be at in terms of trying to find creative ways and means in which to ra- raise revenues. Um, and and pay for some of these services that cities and their residents have come to rely on over the last 10, 20, 30 years. It doesn't look like that's in his playbook. Looks like he's going back to the 1990s. And I, you know, I, I just, I'm just concerned about where we're we going over the next two or three years. I have a sinking suspicion he's going to go back to Ontario Works. He's going to download those costs onto municipalities, and those costs and others attached to them will pale in comparison to the $9 million that we're looking at right now. And so that's just, I think, a sign of things to come over the next couple of years. I hope I'm wrong, um, but I, you know, based on what we've seen in the first, uh, you know, year of his mandate, um, it, it looks like it's a sign of things to come. Sure does. Chad, thanks as always. We'll stay in touch as this rolls out. Appreciate your time today. Thanks, Bill. Chad Collins, uh, Councillor for Ward 5. 
You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Another element to the budget uh, that we're going to feel in in some way, shape, or form, of course, is the uh, government announcement that they are cutting about $46 million from the Ontario Provincial Police budget. This is the government that calls themselves pro-police and law and order. Uh, Richard Brennan, retired journalist with the Toronto Star, joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about that. Badger, thanks so much for the time. Good to have you with us today. You surprised by this announcement? No. <laughs> in, in short, does anything uh, these guys do surprise you anymore? <laughs> uh, no, no, quite frankly, it doesn't. But uh, you know, well, they they said they were going to cut, and you know, that's I think about less than four five percent of the the uh, OPP budget. And, and you know, I I well expected it, and I I'm sure that the uh, the guys at the brass at the OPP uh, expected it too. Well, I mean, it's interesting. The Solicitor General, Sylvia Jones, uh, when she was talking about this yesterday, uh, said that the OPP management understands this and they're not squawking about this. No, no wonder, Rich. The last time they did squawk about it, they fired the guy. So, I mean, you know, we, he walked it buying a van for the Premier. So, I mean, obviously they're just going to be quiet about this, and I guess they just have to suck it up. But but it's, it, this has got to have some sort of an impact on delivery of service. Well, of course it will. I mean, even 5% is, is I mean, it's a large chunk of money. Uh, but you know they're 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 telling the OPP that they've got to, they've got to find that that less than five percent, and and that's all there is to it. So, uh, of course, something's going to slide. What what that may be, who knows? I mean, Sylvia Jones says that there's it's no no fewer uh, officers no, no fewer officers on the road, but we we don't know that yet. I mean, something has to give. Just like with the teachers, something happens, happens, you know, has to give. So, will it mean you know there'll be, you know, fewer officers uh, mm-hmm. hired? Uh, who knows? That's that. That's what all these announcements is really. It's the great unknown. Well, and therein lies the problem. And I, I saw that same line too. It's saying uh, you know no officers will lose their jobs. Uh, you can file that right beside no teachers will lose their jobs, well, no nurses exactly. will lose their jobs. Uh, they, they have no idea because when you cut funding off like that, they're not technically the ones that are laying people off, but the departments have to because they have the budget cuts. Well, that well, that's it. I mean, if if you if you cut money from a budget, you know, is it is it going to be taken out of administration? Or is it going to, you know, filter right down to the you know the frontline troops, and that's the decisions right now, or the decision that the the brass at the OPP headquarters will have to make. What's got to give? And you'll you'll nip and tuck here and there and, and get a few million dollars here and there, but we all know the major cost of running something like the OPP or a board is salaries. So where do you go? Well, therein lies the problem, and and that's why I'm worried about frontline services. And uh, and you know, I mean, there's a variety of things that we could talk about here. The, what programs are going to be impacted by this? Is it going to be the organized crime division? It's going to be the ones that that are fighting uh, the import of, of illegal guns and handguns into the? Because I mean, those are ongoing uh, d- details and ongoing investigations that are happening right across the province, but especially around the border areas, uh, for instance, around Niagara and places like that. Do those programs get cut? Does that mean that all of a sudden, you know, we they're not going to be able to do the extent of work and the research and the investigations that they're used to doing in, in situations like this? Or, or you know, uh, you know, I, you know, I hate to even raise this, but, you know, uh, the OPP are, is known for really doing, and other forces as well, coordinating their, their uh, efforts and something like child pornography. Yep. Does that, does that go? 
I don't. That's what I mean. We, when, when they simply say, you know, you guys have to find the savings, uh, you're going to have to make some drastic cuts here. And and I, you know, the minister was saying, well, you know what, we're making oil changes, you know, more often, and that's going to keep the cars on the road. I mean, come on, let's talk about frontline services. The the area that I'm concerned about, we may not in Hamilton fully understand that, is that in in many communities, uh, Badger, and you know this obviously because of all the work you've done. The OPP is the local police force. You know they don't have a police service as they rely on that the, the OPP of the detachment in those areas for the servicing within those towns. Plus, obviously, the surrounding highways. Uh, does that mean that that complement gets reduced? And what's that going to do to policing in smaller towns in Ontario? Well, that's it. Do you now? Let, let, let's say you know you, they have contract police, obviously, yeah, yeah. With, with places you know various places like Simcoe, Ontario, and that those kind of contracts. But you're right. For the rest of the province, they rely on the the OPP, and and that's paid for by you know the central coffers. So do you all of a sudden go from a a fifteen person detachment to ten? Uh, you know, already, you know, for example, that the, their cars they keep in their cruisers are longer uh, than they used to. And, you know, I think it's, they're, they're miling them out at 250000 No, they're The is already doing things to try and save money. And then now they're getting squeezed even further. Well, this is one of the things that, that I mean, it's a common theme from government, but it's one of the things that really rankles me. Is, is there's an insinuation when the government makes announcements like this, and when they just talked about it in the last segment about public health uh, and the cuts that are going to come in that a- particular area, there's an insinuation to the government that you guys, the OPP, the public health, whatever it is, education system, has way too much fat in there. And, and that's, that's the problem with this province right now. And that's just plain wrong. But, but, Bill, but it's easy to convince the public that that's the case. They, you know, if you tell somebody something enough that they begin to believe it, like if you say, you know, uh, Toronto is inefficient and, uh, it, you know, they could tighten their belt, the OPP could tighten their belt because, you know, I'm sure there's in, uh, efficiencies they can get. And, and, and the public becomes, you know, they adapt to it and they say, yeah, you're right. The bureaucracy is too big and, and you know, I'm sure they're wasting money in that. And then it and then it becomes a reality, and that's what's happened. Yeah, I know, but it's uh, it's you know it's misdirection is what this is. Uh, you know, when you start looking at essential services, and and policing is an essential service, and we all know that. Uh, and and to suggest that, well, you know what, we're just going to chop and butt them. This is this is not again. As I, it's the same point I made when I was talking about the public health thing in the earlier part of this hour here, Badger. This is not to create a more efficient system. All it is is reducing the bottom line. That's all they seem to care about here. That's therein lies the problem, as you would say. You know, therein lies the problem because we, you know, we when you make cuts, just like years ago, what happened to Walker, and when when they when they cut back on water inspection, and you know, look what happened. When you make cuts, there's there's a there's a repercussions because of all these things. And we don't know what they are. We're yet to see what they are. Certainly, the Toronto Board of Education, you know, in the back, they're down like $64 million. And that's just to pick out one board. And so they're, they're, they're looking at, you know, down the barrel and saying, where the heck are we going to get this money? And that's where you have to start make cuts that affect education, affect policing, affect public health, and 
I mean, public health is there to, to, to stop people, for example, from getting ill. You know, you, you, you get, you get, you get, uh, you know, uh, you go in there and you, you get public health is there for a reason. It is to, it is to prevent diseases. And if you cut back, what happens? We, again, we don't know yet, but you know, you can, it, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that down the road, well, maybe, maybe people will get sick because a certain you know, policy is not being followed by, by, the, uh, by the public health agencies. It's in, in, in broad terms, the public health agencies are disease prevention. In other words, it's a r- proactive Absolutely. approach to good health. In other words, it's immunization programs, it's food inspections, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, a number of different programs that we got. It's basically to look after the community. If we have to start cutting back on those programs, you're absolutely right. People are going to get sick, and when they get sick, that's going to put more pressure on hospitals. I mean, this there's a consequence, there's a cause and effect to every one of these programs. I mean, all this government seems to care about is that bottom line and say, "Well, we're going to save money, and we're going to you know we're going to make a more efficient system." Not really. It might be a cheaper system, but it's not going to be a more efficient system. You know, if there's going to be cutbacks to public health, people are going to get ill. People are going to get diseases. People are going to get food poisoning, any number of different things, because that, that program is, is going to be reduced. The same thing with policing. If we have to start cutting back the complement of officers, uh, does that mean fewer patrols on, on Ontario highways? Does that mean more speeding? Does that mean more deaths because of collisions? Uh, you know, there's a consequence to all of these things. Of course there is. But they have, and 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 I, you know, I've, I've got to have some sympathy for the for the government at the same time, is they've got a huge deficit, and nobody wants their ox gored. I understand that, so you know, like what do you do? You, you you've got a deficit you have to slay, and you, you then you've got to force these cuts on people, which is you know they're distasteful, but if if you're running a company. You would say, you know what, I, I'm, uh, I've got to, you know, I've got to make cuts, so I've got to get rid of some employees. I mean, it's, these are hard decisions, and and nobody likes them. But I'm telling you, people better get used to it because these guys are not going to give up. They, they are committed to get, you know, slaying the dragon, so to speak. Yeah, but look at and you've talked about this after the budget was announced, and we talk about you know spending and how much this government's spending as opposed to the last government. Uh, and so they're going to go after public health, and they're going to slash that. They've already gone after education. They're slashing that. That's going to have an impact on the classroom. We already know that. And teachers are losing their jobs, notwithstanding oh, what the premier said. Uh, officers are probably going to lose their jobs. If they don't, even if it is done by attrition, that still means fewer officers on the street. If there's a freeze on hiring, for instance, and, and 10 guys retire, 10 officers retire, that's going to have an impact on service delivery. I mean, that, that's, that, that's the end of the game here. That's what we have to be concerned about in situations like this. But the government's still spending money. I mean, let's, you know, it's, it's one of these things where they're going to all these departments and saying, you guys have to find savings. But this is also the government, of course, that, you know, is, is committing $30 million to go and fight a federal government policy, which they haven't got a hope in hell of actually defeating. But that's our money that's going down the drain. Um, you know, we've also got the concern about him saying, okay, I want to put beer in corner stores. That apparently is going to cost an awful lot of money and penalties to break a contract. Uh, so, I mean, you know, they're saying do as I say, not as I do. That seems to be the mantra from Queen's Park. Well, it's, but every, gov- every government uh, is, has its contradictions where they'll say that, 
we don't we're not going to spend money in this area but we'll certainly spend money in this area on government advertising or and in this case fighting fighting a court case that you know that they're not going to win we we, we all know that that you know, the federal government has every right to bring in the, you know those rules and but the point you know the point is that I, it's a bit exasperating, quite a, because it, it, it's push and pull here, and you're, you're, you're trying to you're trying to cut down this money that government's spending, and you're trying to convince the public. Better yet, they're trying to convince the public that this has to be done. Yet they're wasting money in other areas, and and that's I think that's what sticks in people's craw, where, where you lecture us about this, but you feel quite free to you know to a battle and uh are going to a battle you can't win and that's what's going to happen certainly with the federal government yeah and it, but it's still going to cost us a ton of money i mean obviously they're going to spend oh, every uh, they're going to spend every money of the 30 million dollars so in the, well they already started with the advertising campaign but they'll carry this out just like saskatchewan lost it in their court battle ontario will lose it in theirs but they're going to take it to the next level and that's going to cost even more money and on and on it goes and in the meantime they're saying oh by the way uh opp uh we're going to cut your budget oh by the way uh education system we're going to cut your budget too what that's where they're getting the money from i mean you know that's it's 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 one or the other in situations like this and you're right. Every government does have its priorities. I understand that. But if you're going to talk austerity, uh, start by looking in the mirror. And, and they haven't done that yet. Well, they. I hope I hope that they're starting to you know to squeeze the pennies themselves in, in terms of spending by the government. Uh, I I don't know. I I can't say they are. Or they aren't. But you know, their their philosophies is not a bad one if you can if you think of it. it they're they're cutting everybody, and so you know, we we get a, a weekly you know uh, news story. Out of, you know, right now we're talking about the OPP, the school boards before, and they're doing it to everybody. So it kind of it kind of you become kind of a near to it. You think, well, you know, I guess everybody's being cut, so you know we can expect to be cut ourselves, be it CAS or whatever it might be. And then it just becomes part of the, part of the you know the kind of lexicon, if you will, and that's it's it's more troublesome, I think, where people begin to accept that is the way things are, and and you wait and see. I mean, that it'll just people will just become to think of this as just you know a, a regular occurrence. Oh, they're numb to it now. I mean, that's that's starting to happen. I yeah. I can already see that. And, 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 you know, and people get upset when you start to point out some of the uh, inefficiencies and some of the inaccuracies of what the government's saying and, or their quote-unquote justification for stuff like this. You know, to say that, okay, maybe you're going to have to do with less policing. Uh, I'm not so sure that if you stop 10 people on the street and said, look, do you, do you think we should have fewer cops and fewer police? I don't think very many people would agree with that. I don't think very many people would say we should knock our education system and our health care system down with less money. Uh, usually it's it's quite the opposite in situations like that. But to go back to your point, uh, I mean, you know, this is a government, uh, the, you know, these guys looked after themselves. They increased their, their, their housing allowance, by the way, for all out-of-town MPPs, which is most of them, obviously. Uh, because, you know, the rising cost of housing in Toronto, so they gave themselves more money for that. They're looking after themselves when it comes to all the, the little nuances. And I know that doesn't amount to an awful lot of money, but there's a symbolism to that, Badger, if they say, look at you know what, we're tightening our belts too. And I'm not but, seeing a whole lot of that yet. But, but, to, argue, but to, to argue that against that point is that, in fact, they haven't, MPPs haven't had a raise in years, and I mean years. 
and 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 they don't have a they don't have a pension plan. So I mean, those those kind of that squeezing's already been done, and so I, I mean, people people have to understand. Like, just as a point here, most people think in Ontario that MPPs have a, a pension. They don't. Mike Harris got rid of it. Yeah. So that does, that kind of austerity has been already practiced. Now it's being practiced right across the board, and it's certainly people don't like it, and I certainly, certainly understand why. But they better get used to it because it's, it's not going to change. I mean, these, these folks are in power for, you know, for three and a half more years or whatever. And, uh, and I'm not saying once, you know, right or wrong, but the point is that they're going to be doing it and it is not going to change. So, and if people, if people don't like it, you know, well, you know what they can do. <laughs> yeah. The battle box in three and a half years. Yeah. I uh, mean, that's, that's, that's just it. But believe me, they'll, they'll be like your rich uncle in, in three and a half years. They'll, they'll be handing out more money. You can shake a stick at so. <laughs> <laughs> but here's this is you know here we are talking about numbers and we're, this is really when you look at it in kind of the abstract I mean that's a big number that they say they're going to cut forty six million dollars uh, wait until July and August wait until you know this this starts to roll out and you start to see the impact that this is going to have uh, in this case on the OPP uh, you know to patrols in small towns to patrols on the highways on the four hundred series highways and other highways. Uh, you know, I mean, I already see we go up north at the odd time. I mean, you know, we start heading up there. I, you never see an officer anymore. I mean, there, there's already, uh, I, I think, a bare-bones contingent that's operating up there, and it's a pretty big province for these guys to cover. But when you start seeing less officers and you start seeing less patrol, uh, that's going to have an impact on safety. It's going to have an impact on an awful lot of things. And just when that starts to happen, I want people to remember this announcement from this government and said, look, this is the cause and effect, and that's this is this is what's going to happen in situations like that, just like it did in education, just like it's going to do in healthcare. Yeah, something's got to give. Yeah, exactly. It really does. Well, we're and, the one we're the ones that are giving, so, well, <laughs> and continue to give too. <laughs> yeah, well, we've been giving for a long time, buddy. So <laughs> seems that way. Badger, thanks as always. Great talking with you again today. Thanks, Bill. Right. Richard Brennan, of course, retired journalist for the Toronto Star, uh, who covered Queens Park for many, many years and saw a lot of budgets and saw the results and saw the impacts of an awful lot of those budgets. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Global News has issued a series of uh, reports on Canadian health care system uh, on Global National over the last couple of days. Today's edition looks at dental care and its costs. Uh, according to a poll by Ipsos, Canadians uh, support publicly funded dental care. The overwhelming majority of us do because an awful lot of us don't have dental care. They don't have insurance. Jeff Semple, senior correspondent with Global News, joins us to uh, talk about his uh, findings in this. Jeff, great to have you on the show again. Thanks for the time today. Hey, Bill. Great to be with you. Uh, very enlightening. I saw the piece that uh, that you put in on this, too, about uh, uh, Canadians support publicly funded dental care for those without insurance. I, I know that you, as you always do with your reporting, Jeff, you've, you've talked to people that are impacted by this. And, boy, you've heard some very, very strange stories. Yeah, we, I mean, you know, it was quite stunning, I think. And, you know, to, and I think to me, sort of the biggest, you know, takeaway is the fact is just the, the number of Canadians who don't have access to any kind of dental health insurance at all. And we are talking about a third of Canadians who are sort of falling through the cracks of our system here. Now, dental care in Canada is provided basically by a patchwork of either private plans that you receive through your employer 
or those who access government-sponsored programs that are typically targeting low-income families, seniors and children. Um, but, you know, still in all of that, we have a third of Canadians who don't have access to insurance. And, you know, through for these stories, we, we met with some of them, including a, a gentleman uh, who lives out in Calgary named Stan Thompson. Um, now, I'm sorry to say that uh, Thompson's story took a turn for the worse actually in Hamilton. Yeah. He was there in uh, 2005 um, when he was mugged. He was stabbed multiple times, uh, nearly died. He was put into a coma, and during the attack, he was kicked in the head, and that caused serious damage to his teeth. So when he finally was recovering in hospital, um, but his teeth, uh, of course, were... To be fixed by a dentist. The problem was that Stan is a professional comedian, doesn't have access to dental insurance through his work, uh, and therefore couldn't afford to repair the damage. And we are talking about significant damage, Bill. I mean, his teeth were literally falling out. He was able to pull them out, some of them by hand. Uh, and things just continued to get worse. Uh, you know, as a comedian, of course, he, he needs to speak for a living, and he was had a hard time speaking, couldn't enunciate. He struggled even to eat. He lost about 30 pounds in just a few months and spiraled into a depression. Um, so, you know, this is just one of the, the stories in that 30% that could, you know, that these people who are vulnerable, you know, in Thompson's case, it wasn't an issue of him not brushing his teeth. It was an issue of him getting mugged in the streets. Now, fortunately, in his case, he eventually managed to connect with a local charity in Calgary that helped to repair some of the damage. They extracted some of the damaged teeth. They provided him with dentures. Um, but, you know, again, he, he is just sort of a living example of this sort of significant number of Canadians and in that 30%, Bill, we've, we've, we've done some polling and found that about half of them, so we're talking still millions of Canadians who just say they can't afford to go to the dentist, so they don't go to the dentist. And what we often see in these situations is that dental health problems can become broader public health problems. In fact, you know, every year in Ontario, we see tens of thousands of people end up in the emergency room for what was a preventable dental problem. Well, and that's one of the the takeaways, I think, from the, the reporting on this, is that uh, we just think, okay, if I don't brush my teeth, if I don't look after my teeth, I might get a cavity. And worst case scenario, they may have to extract the tooth. Uh, but this has an impact on your entire body. The longer you leave things unattended, something like this. I mean, uh, you know, you took the example of, of uh, the young uh, Toronto mother, uh, Ontario, uh, who had a, just a terrible situation, and, and as you as you're going to be reporting on this, Jeff, she was doing everything right according to Hoyle, and she got pregnant, and everything changed. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and, and you know, you can you can hear and listen to Anne tonight on Global National, and her story, as you say, was was heartbreaking. I mean, here's a young Toronto woman who had near perfect oral health. I mean, she said she had just one cavity in her entire life until she became pregnant about nine years ago. And sometimes for some women during pregnancy, the pregnancy hormones can cause dental problems. It, your body has a harder time fighting off of, off plaque. And so it can, you know, lead to a whole number of serious dental issues, including gum disease. And, you know, for her, she suffered far worse than, than most. She ended up uh, she said, having treatment on every single tooth. She had pieces of her teeth falling out, teeth cracking or breaking in half while she was eating. Um, now, fortunately for Anne, her husband had had access to some dental insurance through his employer, but that insurance plan only covered a percentage of these procedures, and it came with an annual cap. Uh, that, and so the money just didn't go far enough. And as a result, Terrio and her husband ended up spending upwards of $10,000 just taking care of her teeth. 
Um, and she still has problems that she can't afford to fix. And, you know, coming back to our original point, one of those problems ended up becoming a b bigger health problem. She ended up with a bacterial infection in her mouth that was caused by an untreated cavity. That led to problems in her lymph system that ended up putting her in, in hospital on a number of occasions. Um, so, you know, again, we see examples where dental health problems, you know, sometimes simple ones, if left untreated, can become significant problems. And I think, Bill, or obviously that raises the fiscal arguments mm -hmm. that we often hear in terms of why we should perhaps ex talk about extending our Medicare coverage to help those who don't have dental insurance because, you know, in situations like this, the taxpayer ends up paying for it anyway and ends up paying more in some cases than they would have had the issue been treated at the beginning. This is a, a kind of a, a perfect storm of, of problems and, and dental hygiene problems, I guess, as, as uh, we talked about, I guess, in past instances too, Jeff. I mean, uh, because we've got the situation now, as you say, there's low-income people, and, and certainly we can sort of understand, okay, they can't afford to do this. But there's another generation of, of entrepreneurs and, and startup businesses, and, and that's a good news story from an economic standpoint. But oftentimes when they're in that what they call precarious employment, they don't have dental packages. They don't maybe even have health care packages to a certain extent unless they have the provincial insurance. So they're hesitant to actually do these sorts of things because they simply can't afford them at this time. So this, this reaches across all wage brackets and, 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 and all age groups, I would think. Yeah, that's right. And you know what, that's a great point. The fact that, you know, as we see the, you know, the sort of the, the rise of the, the freelancer, if you like, people yeah. who are self-employed or telecommuting, but often don't have access to a full-time job that would traditionally be the, you know, the thing that provides us with dental coverage. And, you know, of the Canadians who are, you know, we have 70% of Canadians who are covered, it's around 60% of those are covered through their work. So they have a policy through work. So obviously that becomes an issue for people who don't have full-time employment in case some cases because they've chosen to work that way. And I think, you know, these again are people, and we often see, you know, you, you think about, of course, that, you know, the issues that people uh, low-income children, low-income families, people with disabilities might have accessing dental care, but we're also talking about a lot of middle-class people, lower-middle-class people who are having issues accessing this care. And, you know, it's also worth noting, Bill, just by the way, that um, one of the numbers that stood out to us in our research, we, you know, we often think the people who end up with these dental problems are simply not doing their homework. They're not, you know, doing their, their brushing, they're not brushing twice a day, they're not flossing. Well, in fact, that's only, you know, that only accounts for around 10% of people who end up needing serious dental care. You know, only around 1 in 10 of those are people who, you know, just were sort of slacking and not doing, not putting in the work. And the rest are cases like with Anne or like with Stan, who we've just discussed, who, you know, just found themselves unlucky and, you know, found themselves in need of serious dental care. Jeff, what about the political element to this? And as you say, the, the, the solution, and it's been brought up many, many times in the past, is why not a national program? Why not something like what we have for, for our health care programs uh, that was rolled out back in the early 1960s? Uh, and uh, is, is there a political push for that in, in any way, shape or form? Well, you know, there is. There's been a, quite a bit of a political discussion on that very subject. Of course, healthcare regulated provincially. So, you know, we've heard it even just recently here in Ontario, where the, the Ford government proposed uh, a new program that would provide dental care for low-income seniors. Um, you know, there we'd heard concerns initially that perhaps the funding didn't go far enough, but I think it speaks to this sort of patchwork that exists where you have different provinces doing things differently. I mean, obviously, the reason that there has been reluctance up till now 
how to extend dental care and maybe even make it part of Medicare is just the cost involved. But again, as we've been sort of arguing and suggesting that the cost is there anyway, uh, if people end up in an emergency room in need of dental care. But, um, you know, it's interesting, Bill, because we looking sort of across the pond at countries in Europe and, you know, there are a lot of, you know, success stories out there. In fact, Canada legs pretty far behind when you look at other OECD countries in terms of our coverage, as I was noting, our coverage Dental coverage in Canada is around 70%. Well, it's not hard to find countries in Europe that have coverage very close to 100% of their population when we talk about dental health. Austria, for example, 99% of the population has access to dental care. And what we often see in these European countries, um, not necessarily across the board Medicare, but it is still a patchwork. It's, you know, we do have, you know, still have these employer private programs and we do still have this sort of special government sponsored programs for low income families it's just that there are you know for those for that 30 percent in canada that has nothing you know the proposal would be that that gap needs to be filled that there needs to be at least some level of basic care available to those people and according to the polling we've done with ipsos around 86 percent of canadians would support providing publicly funded dental care to those without insurance coverage in our country jeff you spend a lot of time in london of course when you're stationed there uh, in uh, for global uh does uk has a national program don't they that's right. It's uh, dental coverage in the UK is uh, part of the NHS, the National Health so, yeah. Service. Yeah, and uh, although, but it's and it's not exactly always held up as a as a huge success story. I should say. I mean, just <laughs> because of the cost, because of the costs involved, and I think, you know, this is this is it. I mean, it was actually quite surprising to talk to a number of like dental health experts in our reporting for this story who were adv- who weren't necessarily advocating, you know adding dental care to Medicare and just kind of covering all of it for everybody, but we're kind of promoting a multifaceted model um, to try and just fill in some of the gaps. I mean, our dental care is pretty good in Canada. I mean, we do pretty well. um, And, you know, it's just that our coverage isn't great. And so we are talking about this, you know, percentage of society and, you know, a significant one uh, where they are kind of just vulnerable to either poor dental hygiene or you know whether they get mugged in the in the streets of hamilton i'm sorry to say or Mm. you know end up getting pregnant and and developing problems from that i mean i think there are just so many different situations and stories that you can hear about where people through no fault of their own end up needing coverage and i think you know it's it's filling in that particular gap that we hear a lot of people advocating for well your point's well taken i don't know that uh, that's what you'll talk about in the report tonight there is a cost to full coverage but there's a cost to not doing it too and i'm sure uh, as people watch the the reporting tonight, they'll get that message as well. Uh, Global National, 6.30 tonight. Of course, we can watch this report. Jeff, thanks as always. Great talking with you again today. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate it. Take care. Jeff Semple, Senior Correspondent with Global News. And uh, can check out that report on The National tonight with Donna Friesen. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.